Coffee. All right, welcome to Films Over Coffee. I am Jared, the sound guy, and I've got Adam, the writer, with me Ooh. once again today. We'll be uh, we'll be talking today probably about our uh, five favorite TV shows and most influential TV shows. We're probably talking about that, or we'll see what happens. Okay, and now in Technicolor, I think. Yes, we uh, we're we're filming this one today, so Sorry, you get to see the chaos that goes on yeah. when we're not uh, <laughs> talking. So we're talking about the five most important TV shows. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. All right. I I think my list will beat yours uh, easily. As a I don't know. I yeah. got some heavy hitters in there. All right. We'll we'll see about that. Okay. So uh, talking a little bit in um in over coffee news, um, we just finished up all the principal photography on the short film Mercy. Yep. With yeah. uh, Daniel McKeever and Jax Russell. That's right. Uh, yeah, it was a great shoot. Uh, Daniel is a new member of the team. Uh, he did a really wonderful job, and it's going to be a pretty exciting short film. We're going to get that out to some film festivals when it's finished. Absolutely. Daniel is a fantastic actor, and if you guys get the chance, the um, Spokane Modern Theater is uh, hosting uh, Man of La Mancha with uh, Daniel. Yeah, I believe it starts July 8th and runs to July 30th. Uh, it's a musical, and it's, it's sort of a modern adaptation. It sounds pretty cool. I've seen a little bit of rehearsal footage, and let me tell you, Daniel's got some pipes. He, he can sing. Absolutely, and he was a fantastic actor. Great guy to have on set, so Real professional. please check it out, people. It's, uh, you know, we, we like to support our support the arts and support our people. So you know, I've never out. been that person, actually. I don't really buy into do it because you're supporting the arts do it because it's going to be entertaining that's what i would say you know because otherwise i've always found that insulting like i'm going to go to your show because i'm trying to support local artists it's like no go to my show because i'm going to entertain you that's you know you know that's for my that's my feeling and i tell you you know watching daniel in the shoot he's going to be entertaining he's going to be great now that i'll agree with but you know if you don't support the arts we're going to take an aside to actually talk about this uh, art is like anything else. You got to put in your 10,000 hours before you really get good at it. And, you know, if we're not out there supporting the crap, how are these people ever going to get better at it? Well, I mean, it's capitalism. I mean, you don't go to a restaurant hoping that one day they'll get better. You don't eat like a crap sandwich, you know. So you go to a restaurant because the food's good and you go to a theater because the theater is good. The plays are good. And so I that's my feeling. And so like and, and to me, I think, it, you know, it's a compliment I think to the shows I see and the musicians I see and whatever that I go because I want to, not because I feel some obligation, but that's me. I'm, I mean, uh, as a writer, uh, when people would come to my readings or whatever, because they were quote supporting writers or whatever, I'd be like, get out, you know, like, I don't want you here, you know, like <laughs> either I entertain you or I don't. That's my feeling. Well, and, uh, I, I'll throw this out there too. When I was in a band and, um, we were playing, uh, in my living room, and the cat would stay there to support me, even though he hated my music because my cat hates me. Uh, I, f- I felt good about that. So I didn't kick him out of the room while I was doing my terrible radio head covers. So, I mean, he, he really helped me out there. Did you do Creep? Yeah, you did Creep, didn't you? Uh, um, Karma Police. Oh, all right. Karma Police and uh, fake rubber bands. Okay. Well, so what what's next? We, so we've gone over, over coffee news. We... Um, Go, pay attention to Mercy. Also, we've got uh, the Shovel music video by Stevie, Lace, Stevie Lynn coming out uh, soon. So keep your eye out for that. That's going to be pretty awesome. Absolutely. The footage I've seen so far looks fantastic. So we're really excited to get that out there. And Stevie Lynn was fantastic on set. Yeah, she was. Uh, hard, Incredibly hard worker. I mean, she's going to be very successful just because of her work, work ethic. I mean, oh, yeah. It's it's sexy. It's it's exciting. The music video is great. And Stevie just nails it. Great performer. All right. So um, 
I guess one of the other things we'll talk about a little bit of film news here. Um, starting this week with a, uh, you know, the untimely passing of Antoine Yelchin, and uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family because that's that's. Uh, I think it's I think it's Anton. Anton. He's Russian. Yeah. Uh, but just yeah. just so sad. I mean, he was a great actor. He was great in the Star Trek films. He was really good in his other stuff too. I mean, all the other things I saw him in, he was really fantastic. You know, I, I only saw him in the Star Trek films. I mean, and, uh, for me, I always think of him as the new Chekhov, which is, a uh, might sound like a diminutive thing to say, but I, to me that, you know, uh, that, that character meant a lot to me. And I thought he was pretty serviceable in that. And it, he was only 27, I think. What a shame. What a shame to lose such talent so young. And, uh, what a tragic accident that was. So that was really sad news to find out yesterday. Uh, the other thing's going on. So, Star Wars Rogue One has a release date uh, in December. The news just came out that they are doing massive reshoots. Mm. I mean, they're they're thinking up to forty percent of the film is going to be reshot. In December. Yeah, now, you, you gotta wonder what's going on over there. So, rumor has it. No, this is just rumor. But rumor has it that um, a lot of footage was shot before the script was even finalized. Oh, yeah. So, as no. a writer, can you? I mean, I guess they had a pretty basic script and shot yeah. a whole bunch of stuff and no, basically left it up to the that's editor. That's a giant pet peeve of mine, you know, because you just don't know where the story's going. I mean, you can have a rough idea, but, you know, you really can't do the sort of uh, foreshadowing and things like that you want to if you don't know the whole thing. Uh, I, I find that rather frustrating, so I'm, I'm not surprised. That's true. And, you know, with a film like that, I mean, if you're starting out with a film from scratch... Um, for uh, another great example was the first Iron Man film. Um, Jeff uh, Jeff Bridges has recently come out and said it was shot like an indie film <laughs> where they would go to their trailer and him and Robert Downey Jr. would try to figure out their lines and just go shoot it. I mean, they wow. they were calling the writer saying, what do you think about this? What do you want to do here? I mean, he said, once you thought of it as a student film, he said it went great. Well, I mean, uh, not to uh, two weeks in a row knock on Abrams, but probably what happened with this Rogue One thing, I, I know he's not the director, but I know he's uh, still the head of the whole thing, right? I mean, he probably is like, you know, lost because he doesn't have a movie to copy shot for shot, you know, a successful one. I, I, su- I suspect that's the problem. Well, here's the thing, though, is that um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the, the story of Rogue One, it's basically going to happen between episode three and episode four. Right. And so you can only go that far. Like, I mean, you have a starting point and an ending point. Like, I'm not a writer by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like I could knock out a serviceable script for this. A plucky uh, female orphan who uh, who has, whose life mission is much bigger than she ever imagined. Huh. I've not heard of that story before. Yeah, is uh, is that the one where uh, she gets adopted by the uh, multimillionaires? <laughs> is that the same story, or are we oh, thinking about something? Well, else? I was thinking about Star Wars uh, Episode Seven, uh, which is basically a, a you know they got the same sort of plot set up for the main character. We'll see. We'll I see. think I was talking about Annie, Annie the musical. It's the same thing. Yeah, very similar. It's like Annie in space with laser swords. So that'll be the next film from Over Coffee Films is Annie in space with laser swords. Um, we think we can do a pretty serviceable I, version I would of love that. to see a song and dance number with Chewbacca. you never fully dressed with a smile. It's just like, you know, like, uh, so that'd be, uh, I, I would watch that. I would watch that. I would too. I would too. Yeah. Um, the other big thing this year is a lot of the films coming out this summer, the big blockbuster films, if you will, 
A lot of sequels. A <laughs> lot of sequels. The uh-huh. other interesting point is that almost none of those sequels are directed by the director that directed the first one. Yeah, I, I mean, mean... It's kind of the summer of the producer. I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know. It's With these movies, they're just... I don't know. I, in no case am I really you know, excited to see any of those movies and they're just uh, for children or the, for the people who just already love the franchise and will go anyway. It doesn't matter what they look like or, you know, and I'm going to include Star Trek beyond in that. Uh, sorry, but, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I'm, it's just a really disappointing year and I hope maybe soon we'll do a podcast on reboots, 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 remakes, remakes, remakes. That'd be pretty interesting. I think, although I might be even more cynical than normal. No, I agree. Uh, it's uh, there's nothing really all that exciting, with the one caveat of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I will say this: <laughs> Okay, um, Michael Bay, dude, just quit. Just stop. Stop making movies. So I imagine this Ninja Turtles has to be better than the last one because Michael Dr- Michael Bay is not at the helm of this one. Well, isn't he still the executive producer and all that? Yeah, but what does that mean? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's I. I'm not going to see the second one, I'll tell you that. So uh, I'd rather watch Secret of the Ooze, you know, to bring it back. Those, those were good ones. The best part of those early Ninja Turtles movies were they were costumes. Yeah. So if you look at the right time, like especially when they're coming through doorways, you can just see people's heads inside of the turtles' mouths. Right. Yeah, right. That, was, that was the best part. That and uh, Ninja Rap from Vanilla Ice. Oh, yeah. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Oh, yeah, Ninja yeah. Rap, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a classic. I, I think what was interesting between the first one and the second one, there was a lot of complaints from the first original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from parents. Because they had all these like deadly weapons and stuff, and they were like, "You're encouraging kids to use samurai swords and nunchucks." So if you watch the second one, they actually almost never use their weapons. Like they'll like grab like a, a bunch of sausages <laughs> on thing, or yep. hit people with brooms and stuff. Yep. It's like you have a sword on your back, use it. You know, but they almost never did. It was, it was such a kid friendly version. The second one, it was. Now, did you ever see the newest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? The the last um pile of junk that came out in the Michael Bay one. Yeah. No. No. I've I've seen parts of it and I was busy tearing off my big toenail. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean if but if I wasn't doing that, I still oh, wouldn't yeah. have, I still wouldn't have gone. Oh yeah, well it's a yeah. uh, it's a low class cinema at its best. But <laughs> yeah, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out here, and here's the problem. Okay, the problem is us as a society. Wow, we're getting into society. Oh yeah, all right. absolutely. Now here's right. the thing. Next time Michael Bay puts out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three, you know, mm-hmm. don't go see it. Do not go see it because every time you pay $3,800 to go to a movie in the theater, because that's what it costs these days, you are supporting this guy and basically telling him – because the critics can only do so much. Like when a critic goes, this is the worst movie ever made. I'd rather uh, tear off my big toe nail than, yeah. than watch this thing. Right. He's just going to turn around and go, yeah, but it made $400 bajillion, so well, I don't care. You know, I, I, I guess I feel differently than you. I, I mean I agree. I'd like to see Michael Bay fade off into obscurity. But, you know, there's definitely an audience obviously for it. Uh you know, I know when I was a kid, I probably was more into, you know, boob explosions than uh, I am now, which is kind of the, the uh, one word to describe all of Michael Bay's work. It's like, you know, okay, we've got the, uh, let's see, we've got the one shot here. Okay, we've got the two shot. Okay, we've got a wide uh, three shot. And we've got the double D shot. Okay, there we go. I mean, that's, that's uh, I think that's how he does his, uh, uh, what do they call it, shot planning. So, Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think they just took the... Uh... The uh, guys that draw comics for Playboys to do his storyboards. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I mean, uh, but uh, no, I mean, I agree. But I think the problem is that is it, so that's the thing. Like we we sort of fly, blame uh, the audience and stuff. But the fact is, the audience isn't coming out. 
I mean, yes, these movies are making a ton of money, but, you know, Hollywood, by a lot of people's estimates, is dying because, you know, the fact is audiences are just not going to the theater anymore. And I think this is the reason why. People are sick and tired of it, and uh, Hollywood hasn't figured that out. They're like, they always feel like 10 years behind. You know, they're not, you know, up with what's going on, and, you know, there's just no original thoughts. I think, you know, you're getting, yeah, kids and stuff like that, but what you're not getting are people like me, who loves movies. But, I mean, like, I so rarely go to the theater anymore, you know, so. I I agree, and I only go to the theater if if I feel like the film is actually going to be helped by the the you know the big screen and the the great sound and things like that and you know the kind of movies right. i'm into nowadays are the story driven the plot driven right. the the character driven films and those just aren't helped by big special effects pretty much the only definitive view said like you know it used to be when i was a kid like if there was when i was a kid i remember like if harrison ford was in a movie i would go see it or tom hanks or something like that certain actors yep. or certain directors nowadays like the only Really, the only thing that gets me to a movie is the Coen brothers. They're like definitive. I will definitely go. Um, I mean, there are other directors and actors that definitely intrigue me, but I always go to Coen brothers movies because I've just almost never been disappointed. Yeah. Uh, For me, it's uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I mean, he'd be up there. Definitely. I saw I saw the last two Batman uh, films in the theater and and both of those were really helped by the... uh, just the atmosphere of it. I mean, you need the atmosphere sometimes. And that's why I don't think this the modern cinema will ever fade away completely. Mm-hmm. But the 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 standard the standard model is going to die. Well, and it's going to change. Well, Bane called and he wanted me to tell you, you know, well, thank you for attending our movie. Yeah, that Bane thing. You know, as, sh- a, as a sound guy, I we, could do an entire podcast on just Bane. Should we fix that in ADR? We'll, we'll fix that later. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, and by fix you mean delete? Yeah, I, I, the whole like cupped hands over face Sean Connery voice thing. I, you know, the city is yours. Like that whole thing. I don't. I don't know. I don't get it. But the best part of that was watching the behind the scenes footage of, of uh, <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises because when he takes off the mask, you see how much makeup they put on him. So he's got these like two dark ellipses almost going back on his head, <laughs> and this like white spot, like like he fell asleep with someone's underwear on his face. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe that's how it started. Could be. All right, should we actually get to the topic at hand, or you just want to call it quits? I guess. Let's go home. All right. Hey, what kind of coffee are you drinking, by the way? I've got nothing today. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of this podcast again? Uh, films Over Film, Coffee. Films Over Coffee. Oh. Well, I'm happy to say I'm drinking a nice 16 ounce of Atticus coffee, drip coffee, uh, a little bit of cream, delish. Had a had an iced tea from them earlier. It was it was delicious. So, uh, one of those other oh, is it gonna, called is it called Atticus Iced Tea? Is the I, name of the shop? I think it's just called Atticus. I don't think they uh, specialize in coffee, but they have a great tea. It's actually called so Atticus Gifts and Coffee. Yeah. I just wanted you to know that. So I guess mine would be the gift out of downtown Spokane. Yeah, that's right. You get the gift of the Magi right there. But yeah, absolutely. Check it out, people. We love we love Atticus. We run a lot of meetings out of there. Yep. So really good place. Yeah. Great service. Love it. All right, so let's get to the topic at hand. What are we talking about, bro? All right, the top five most influential TV shows. Top five most important influential TV shows. Okay, so now we also have an honorable mention. Should we start with that? Okay, let's go with our honorable mention. Uh, do you want to go first? Yes, I will go first. All right, so to me, I my list, I don't know what your list is, so hopefully we'll surprise each other. Here's my honorable mention. It may seem like an odd one. My honorable mention for most important TV show is The French Chef with Julia Childs. Now think about this. The reason why it's on my list is she's really the beginning of that TV cooking. I mean, she made it big. And so many of the great 
you know, uh, Food Network and food TV stars nowadays were very influenced by her. I remember Alton Brown once said when he was thinking about making uh, the TV show Good Eats, an amazing show, by the way, he wanted to do a cross between Julia Childs, the French chef, and Monty Python. And uh, I thought, that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think of that? Uh, I, you know, I, uh, I agree with that. Um, and well, you know, once you've got your show, uh, um, uh, made fun of by Saturday Night Live, you know, you've kind of gotten somewhere and that, uh, that was Dan Aykroyd that did that yeah, sketch and that so. was fantastic. Well, yeah, you could never under, I mean, I remember watching it as a kid and I, I could never understand what she was saying. She said, we'll take this chicken thigh, that whole voice thing. I, bad, bad, I don't know. bad call on that. Yeah, well, I bet she was fun. Great personality. What's your honorable mention? Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Ooh. Arrested Development was As in, a in terms great of show. important influential TV shows, I don't know about that. Well, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Arrested Development was one of the first shows that really kind of rose out of the ashes of it, it was it was kind of built from fan like you know, fan love for this show. Like when you when you look at it, I don't I can't really think of any other shows that were off the air for 10 years before they were brought back. Right. And um, brought back by Netflix, and that's the reason it's my honorable mention is just because, you know, Netflix is kind of the future of where a lot of this stuff is going. Okay. I mean, more te- yeah. more more content is coming from Netflix, and more successful content like House of Cards, which I'll talk about later. But oh, a lot of this stuff. Spoiler alert! Geez. A lot of this stuff is just built from. I mean, Arrested Development, especially the last season, wasn't a great season as far right. as the TV show went. But the premise behind it was amazing that okay. it, it just it was built as, you know, this is the future of television. No, I, I mean, I, I, I see your point. It's pretty interesting. But uh, the, one of the issues I, I take a little umbrage with your honorable mention in this sense that who has it influenced? Yes, it may be the way of the future. It does mark this, you know, but we aren't seeing TV shows. We haven't seen. I mean, how many more TV shows have we seen get picked up over 10 years or something like that? You know. So I would say it is not yet influential or important, but I could see the your argument. I think it's, it's well, interesting. I think the point I'd like to make more than that is that you don't need a network to have a show anymore. Right. You know, I mean, uh, look at Community, for example, picked up by Yahoo. Right. Um, Netflix has picked up, like, the back couple of seasons of a bunch of different shows. True, true. So, I mean, they're proving that just because you don't have a limited market that likes to watch TV on Thursday nights on Channel 6. Right. Doesn't mean you can't have a successful People are cutting the cord like crazy. Well, I guess my point is you're wrong. Let's move on to the next one. All right, so I'm going to start with my number five, okay? Now, this is one that may not seem obvious, but I'm going to say my number five most important TV show is from NBC, Homicide, Life on the Streets. Now, Homicide, I always hated that subtitle, Life on the Streets. Just call it Homicide. It was great. Uh, But it's named after the book by David Simon. But the reason I bring up Homicide and why it's so important is that it was a super gritty network TV show, really gritty. It was like, you know, to me, like the precursor for the Breaking Bads. Now, I know Breaking Bad is not a network show, but it really brought in those antiheroes, those unlikable protagonists. And uh, I, and to do it on network TV, you rewatch that and you're like, wow, I, I couldn't imagine this on TV today. So I thought, think it brought a grittiness uh, and a antihero element and also it was the braided story too. So it was a lot like where we see the Game of Thrones and stuff like that, that sort of storyline. So to me, Homicide is my fifth most important TV show. What time slot was that on? Do you know? It moved around actually. Uh, it was interesting because it kind of, it was on NBC as well. Um, and it was, I believe it was on NBC. And it was, uh, 
I think they ran different nights. I think I forget what nights they were on, but they moved uh, Homicide around. Now, I would say this. I'll give this caveat. Homicide is not an amazing show the whole run through. I think it's about eight, nine seasons. But the first four to five seasons are just dynamite, especially the first three. Really amazing. Uh, Barry Levinson does a great job directing. I love that show. Okay. No comment here from except for what you mentioned there. I mean, that's right. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, my number five is The Office. The Office. Yes, The Office. Brought English or American? Uh, American. Okay. Well, good. good nine. Man. The nine season or what? Eight seasons. Yeah. I well, think we ran eight or nine seasons. Might have run a couple seasons too long. But <laughs> I some people, some people think that. But the interesting thing about The Office is it, is it was kind of this almost scripted, unscripted mockumentary style. Mm. And you didn't really see that from a lot of other things at the time. Right. Um, the other thing that it kind of brought, and I don't know that this was even the first show to do this, but um, you have somebody who is like primarily more of a uh, uh, film actor in Steve Carell who jumped into TV. That's true. Yeah, you really, he did, we did sort of pull a star in there, and I thought that was interesting. And like I said, not the first show to do that. I mean, I, take, I think Taxi did that really well back in the day. Right. Um, yeah, there are a few examples, but that's a good point. I mean, and it did sort of start that mockumentary on TV thing. I mean, I know England did it first, you know, but in terms of American TV, now it's done constantly. I mean, yeah, almost, you know, it's wait. I mean, honestly, it's been played out a little bit, but you're right. It is very influential and important. It doesn't make my list, right. though it's wrong, but <laughs> fair. All right. All right. My number three is interesting. Um, How about your number four? Oh, number four. You know, I just was so excited to get to number three. Well, your number three is wrong. All right. Uh, that's you're, Well, you're going to eat those words. Uh, my number four is Ren and Stimpy. Now, oh. I, I know, right? Oh. No, I, I, I can understand when you say most influential of all time, but think about it. Ren and Stimpy... Influence not just TV but film. I think Ren Stimpy is because of Ren Stimpy that we see first of all Adult Swim on Cartoon Network and this huge movement to have adult cartoons. And you know you could you could give some credit to The Simpsons whatever, but I I think what Ren Stimpy was it really was crude, it was gross, it was over the top. You know you have like things like SpongeBob and like things children's shows that are a little more adult as well. And I would say you get really sort of adult friendly children's movies now like shrek because of things like ren and stimpy so i think ren and stimpy transcends just television i think it's super important and the artwork was really bizarre and weird and it, uh, it was uh i don't know you look at the whole cartoon network and the cartoon world today and i see you know ren and stimpy being the grandfather of that i don't know about that i really don't and here's here's why i say this like if i was going to pick if we were going to sit down and do top five most influential animated shows sure it wouldn't even make my uh, honorable mention wow. because I, it was just... This was on Nickelodeon. Think it about was. That. It was. But it didn't go anywhere. Didn't I go mean, anywhere. it only had a couple of seasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Star Trek only had a couple of seasons. That didn't go anywhere? Well, that went in, that went into a different direction. But oh, I mean, yeah. if we're going to look at even influential uh, animated shows, I would look at a show like Family Guy. Uh, oh, n- not bar. necessarily even for its. I mean, Family Guy is like that, plagiarism but... of of The Simpsons. Like it's all it is, and then right. and then he took takes uh, Family Guy and plagiarizes that and makes American Dad. I mean, Seth MacFarlane. It's like have an original thought once in a while. I don't know. Sure, but the thing that's interesting about Family Guy is it was a show that was canceled, and then due to uh, Adult Swim and Did you say due to? Due to Adult Swim, yeah. 
and things like that, it was it was brought back. And you didn't see that a lot. You didn't see a show that was completely canceled, left dormant, and then because of fan base <coughs> returned. Futurama. Mm. Futurama did that too. Well, I actually I'm, think Fran Stimpy did come back years later. I think MTV picked it up or something like that for a couple of years. I, if I'm, I might be wrong, but uh, but I mean, even if you want to talk that, I'd say Beavis and Butthead is probably. The, I uh, I actually thought about Beavis and Butthead here. My thing about Beavis and Butthead was that it wasn't all animated. It did the weird music thing, and it was it was great. I would say that was a really odd show, and it was close. It was between those two, but I went with Ren and Stimpy, especially because it was on a children's network. And that's the thing that was most interesting. Beavis and Butthead being on MTV. MTV yeah. yeah, so I'm going to say Ren Stimpy is the fourth most influential and important TV show. All right. Um, my fourth is actually The Simpsons. Simpsons. Now, what years of The Simpsons? Because, you well, know. But, but that's, not, that's not the direction I'm going to go with it. Okay. Because, now, see, the way you're looking at it is, is the show funny? Is the show, is the writing good? Things like that. And as a writer, I would hope that that would be the direction you'd look at it. But look at the cultural significance of, of The Simpsons. Right. I mean, uh, a majority of original cast after so many years, no show will ever do that. I mean, the only other shows that even remotely come close in number of episodes are your things like um, uh, NYPD Blues and things like that, where they swap out casts every three or four years. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really can't argue with you on this one. I, my big knock on The Simpsons is I kind of wish it died like tw- 10, 12 years ago because yeah. it was a great show. And now I once in a while I'll turn it on, and I got to say, it's just not the same show. Um, so while the cast hasn't changed, the writers have changed. I mean, a lot of stuff has changed, and it's kind of blah these days but it is so important and it did create the sort of family guy stuff and you could make an argument that it also was super important for especially for network tv cartoons it was sort of the first big one to do that yeah absolutely um i remember as a kid my dad was like you know super anti-simpsons i wasn't allowed to watch it bart's so disrespectful he'd say yeah eat my shorts man like is that, that's the worst thing you can get that we're you know like looking at stuff today you know you watch HBO or whatever like and people like George I remember George H W Bush was they were offended about The Simpsons like you know this punk kid you know it's like he says eat my shorts and cowabunga are you serious yeah, yeah. you know he, call, he calls his dad Homer big whoop this is this is what you're really railing against I don't know so I don't really disagree with you on that one don't have it on my list so you're still wrong but you know it's it's, it's not bad okay number three. Monty Python's Flying Circus. I mean, you got to give credit to this one. This is the beginning, you know, from this you get things like Saturday Night Live, Kids in the Hall, Mad TV, In Living Color. I mean, some of the greatest comedy shows on in TV history. And, not, you know, it all starts with Flying Circus. Uh, nothing was like it. And well, I would say nothing has been like it since, you know. Um, so it's it is the most important of those that type and it really set a standard okay so about this one here we begin um just because it was the first doesn't mean it was the best for starters uh, and when you think about it is the best when you think about everything under the sun i mean we talked earlier about the fact that there's especially in hollywood there's nothing new i mean everything is just recycled from you know this that and the other thing but the iPod wasn't the first MP3 player, but it was the best. What are you saying is better than Flying Circus? Uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, what years? Are you t- I mean, well, it depends. I mean, in your cast, you're I mean, Saturday Night Live. It, it you can isn't. Pick your, 
main I, cast. I'm sorry. There's no way. I mean, even the best SNL years, and I love SNL, I mean, for certain years. I mean, it goes in these, like, you know, they'll have, like, three-year pockets that are really good, and then I'll have, like, a bunch that are kind of crap. And But Flying Circus was so bizarre. The artwork was crazy. And, you know, like, the, you know, when you have the movies that come off that, like, Life of Brian, Meaning of Life, and, of course, The Search for the Holy Grail... Uh, she turned me into a newt. Oh, better. Uh, you know, it's, I'm sorry, Monty Python, it, it transcends, you know, cultures. It is hilarious. And it's probably the smartest of any of those shows. I, I'd love, I love SNL. I actually love kids in the hall, but I love SNL, but flying circus to me is the, not just the original and most influential, which is important, but it's also the gold standard, I would say. Um, my third choice is The Sopranos. Sopranos was a super interesting mm. show. It kind of brought back the the serial TV show, and okay, um, you had some really great acting there. That was another one of those cases of, um, you saw a a major tele or a major uh, movie star step back into television. You talking about James Gandolfini? Yeah. Uh, now was he? That's the thing. I don't remember if he really was a major movie star at that point. He was. I know he's been in movies, but uh, was he at the star at that point? He was. He was recognizable. I mean, uh, he was right. definitely like. If I was going to put him on the list, I'd say definitely high B list, low A list. Okay. I mean, he did stuff like The Last Castle with Redford. Oh, terrible movie. What um, uh, uh oh he was he had a bit part, but he was great in uh, Get Shorty as the stuntman. True. He also had a. Does it, he also was great in uh, he, I mean, very tiny scene in True Romance. He was kind of the. You know, one of the henchmen. Yeah, but I mean, and his acting on um, his acting on The Sopranos was fantastic. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and you know, and th- that show ended up having a lot of good actors. And I will say that that show, um, more than any other show out there at the time, I'd say it, it did this thing where every so often, and not not very often, but every so often, it would kill off a fairly major character. Right. And. Not comfortable with those characters. Mm-hmm. Comfortable enough that when they did kill him off, it was kind of shocking and it was upsetting. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was pretty inventive. And, and it did kind of bring about this second golden age of TV, you know, um, a lot of the HBO stuff. And I, I'll give you credit for that one. That's a good choice. Um, it's hard to deny that it's super important today, you know, because you think about pre Sopranos, what was, what were those shows? And I can't really but my finger on one that compares and so much has come out of that. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, I, as a, as an Italian, you know, I do get tired of sort of like the portrayals of Italians that way. Sure. By, by the way, that's Sicilian. It's not Italian. My grandmother was Sicilian and that's all that mafia stuff. Mafioso stuff that is Sicilian, not Italian. And my grandmother would not be caught dead being called Italian. So <laughs> I just want to clarify not all Italians are like that. Not all Italians are grease balls. Okay, like right. you know that's I whatever. Anyway, well, and um, last note on the Sopranos is probably just that. What do you think of the ending? I I liked it. Okay. Um. Now here's here's the thing. When a lot of people are disappointed by a lot of endings, um. Actually, I'm going to throw kind of a semi honorable mention in here. Oh. The best TV ending of all time. Oh in my opinion, has to be... Should we save that for another podcast? Oh, no. Oh, all right, all right. The best ending, uh, in my opinion, has to be the end of season eight of Scrubs. Last episode of that, I, and when you look at endings, you look at 
Did they Is know that it was after coming? it went to the WB? Or didn't it go to a different channel for a while? I think it did. Well, what happened originally was they were scheduled to do eight seasons. Uh-huh. And they had their all eight lined up, and they ended it at, at the end of the eighth season. And it was a beautiful ending. Great choice of music, great wrap-up. I mean, it was... One of the most satisfying endings. I mean, okay. The main character didn't get everything that he wanted, but it's boring when they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then what they did is they, they came back and went, well, you're con- con- contractually obligated to do a ninth season. So they brought in all this new blood and called it basically the Say by the Bell new class. Right. That's, I watched that's some of those episodes, and those were it, 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 it tainted the ending of season eight. And season eight was just beautiful. Okay. The way that right. ended. That's fair. What about you? Best TV show ending? TV show ending. Um, I, I hate it when TV shows end. Uh, I'm going to say The Wire, though. I think The Wire's ending does a really great job, but I'm not going to give it away. I'm not, I'm not going to do that and ruin stories like you do. So uh, let's move on. Okay, so The, the Wire. <laughs> there it is. Well, and another interesting note, too, when we're talking about endings, it's really interesting to see a show that knows it's going to be canceled versus a show that doesn't. That's true. The best example of this, I have to say, is um, My Name is Earl. Uh-huh. My Name is Earl ended its last season with the phrase, to be continued. Right. And it was not. Well, yeah. Twin Peaks has the same sort of problem where they got forced out. Um, that was a shame. By the way, I would have included The Wire on my list, but you know, The, the Wire is a great example. It doesn't show up without The Sopranos. And it, or or homicide. I think those two they really go together to sort of make the wire. So I agree. Um, and uh, same thing with Sons of Anarchy. I would have put that on the list, but then again, Sons of Anarchy doesn't show up without both the Wire and the Sopranos. Right. So uh, let's get down to our final two. All right. All right. You ready for mine? Go ahead. You ready? You, you holding on to something? Oh yeah. Hold on to your butts. Remember that? That was a great line. Sam, oh yeah. Sam Jackson. No, it's Sam. Hold on to your butts. All right. Uh, Mash is my number two. Um, and I'll tell you why. Now, a lot of people kind of forget about shows like MASH and Cheers and stuff like that and in, in their importance in TV. Now, I don't think people, people have wholly forgotten about it. But the thing that's interesting about MASH is, to me, the TV show was better than the movie. Not only that, it was a wonderful balance between drama, it was a war story, it was a comedy, it was a love story. You had all of these things going on, and it was a braided story really complex and it all took place in this tiny little set and it was brilliantly done and i think they really opened doors for sort of this blending of genre uh that some movies had been able to do in the past but i would say tv you know has not been great at and you know mash had such a long run and also you know it really brought different eyes to a war that's been forgotten so i felt like mash was really important in film history, and uh, I, I think that it's a shame more people haven't really stuck with that or some people have forgotten about it. You know, that I'll actually agree with. Um, the thing I liked most about MASH, um, if I'm saying anything, is that MASH slid some of this drama stuff like at you under the guise of a comedy. Right. And you'd be watching this thing, and it'd be funny, and then you know they'd go into a story about... Uh, you know, a chicken making too much noise on the bus, and it just rips your heart out. Right. You know the story I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, or when the characters leave. I mean, it was just brutal. Oh, yeah. And it just, and it happened like, you know, and I guess, in a way, that's the way war worked, you know? These yeah. things just happened, and it was just 
devastating. I know. It, I know it's a very odd comparison, but I, in a weird way, I think it's kind of like a super early and PC version, not PC, uh, maybe whitewashed, scrubbed version of Game of Thrones. I mean, because you do kill off main characters. You do see yeah. horrific things, and it's shocking, but you also get that great banter. Dialogue was really great. The one issue I had with MASH, though, was when Alan Alda took over a lot of the directing. I swear to God, there's like 10 episodes where he does this thing. He says, like, hey, do you hear that? The other person says, I don't hear anything. And he goes, exactly. And it's like, okay, we get it. You know, peace, hooray. You're looking for silence. But it was, it got really, so all in all, the kind of toward the end, I thought, thought made the show a little more annoying, but didn't ruin the show. Still super important. And honestly, when you think about war TV shows like that, that follow a historical war and do a really nice job, there aren't too many that I would say do an excellent job. And I would say that's one of them. Yeah, no, I agree. With that, all right. Number one, my number one. Uh, uh, no, no, you, oh. you're still on number two. Oh, that's right, my number two. Here, House of Cards, the okay. American version, Kevin Spacey. Right. Okay. Um, based originally off of American a show. versions are always better. Let's face it. Go America, USA. USA. Um, but I will say this: the 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 most significant thing about House of Cards, not only the fact that they got another major star, and when we talked about shows like The Sopranos or mm-hmm. um, The Office, the theme behind that was, holy cow, we got this major film star onto the small screen. Not only that, director. I mean, David Fincher, you know. Fincher directed the first and, two episodes. And one, he is still the executive producer, I believe, and he, you know, really steers how it's supposed to look and sound. Yeah. He's really done an amazing job. Yes, absolutely. Um, big fan of David Fincher. Big fan. I agree, and I and, and honestly, House of Cards to me might hold up as my favorite product of his. I I can't really disagree with you, but why do you suppose? Why is it so important? Well, here's what's here's what's interesting is because at the time this was one of Netflix's first foray. I mean, first big ones, yeah, big forays into their own original content. Mm-hmm. You had a couple little things here and there, but that was really just testing the water, right? So. Like The Sopranos did earlier and like The Office did earlier than that, they got a major name star onto what at the time was a mediocre platform. Did you hear how they made that show? No. Netflix essentially did it with an algorithm. And they figured out something like X percentage of people really like Kevin Spacey movies. It was like something like 30-some percent. And X percentage of people like David Fincher movies. And they didn't have a lot of crossover. But there was some. And then... They just were like, well, if we throw these together, we'll get this huge percentage of people. That's, that's literally what they did. It was yeah. crazy. Uh, and that's kind of how Netflix has done done business. But oh, I mean, it works. It works. It, and it, you can't you can't knock it. The other interesting thing is that is the first non network show to win an Emmy. Well, yeah, and it deserves it. I mean, it is Absolutely. a beautifully shot show, and man, I mean, the, the Macbeth allegory or is, is gorgeous. And ooh, the, the Lady Macbeth. Princess Buttercup. Oh, yeah. Good old Princess Buttercup. The other interesting thing, too, is is the way that that built binge-watching. Like, I would say Netflix, more than any other show, has created binge-watching. You know, uh, you mean House of Cards more than any other show? Yeah, what did I say, Netflix? Yeah, I I agree. I remember the first season when it came out. I was like, yeah, I'll give this thing a try. 15 hours later. Uh, I'm like, you know, halfway between like a glass of bourbon and a cup of coffee. Like, I can't decide which. I don't know what time it is. You know, and it's, oh, man, I, I... I blew through it so yeah, like immediately. I did, too. I did too. And it's funny because now you see both Netflix and Hulu trying to rein it back in, mm-hmm. and there's just no saving it. Like, no. there's been a show or two on each where they're like, we're releasing a new episode every Monday. 
And the entire world just went, if I wanted to do that, I'd watch it on TV. Right. Give me all 15 episodes now. I'm calling in sick to work. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's interesting. So, yeah, I, I can see your point. I'm not going to really, you know, I thought I, was, I had a whole poop joke ready for your number two pick, but I'm I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, right. I'm a bigger man than that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, House of Cards, I think, deserves the, it does. Uh, the it's, respect on that. It is an amazing show. Uh, I would say it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite TV shows out right now. Okay, number one. Uh, drum roll, please. Okay, I give myself a drum roll. Thank you. Uh, number one most important TV show of all time. I love Lucy. It is. It is. Uh, oh yeah. Wah. Uh, Ricky. Why don't you like my pack? All right. No, but uh, that, that was, wasn't that a great Lucille Ball right there? Yeah. Yeah. That was fantastic. It's like she was here. I know. I know. Like sort of zombie Lucille Ball. <laughs> Brains. Brains. Uh, <laughs> I mean, okay, here's what I don't get. All right. On the typical zombie, I'm going way off, uh, way off the reservation on this All one. right. What was their obsession with brains, man? I mean, like, okay, because... Have you ever eaten brains? Well, yeah, obviously. No. But, um... Obviously. Uh, there's there's better parts of a person. Like, okay, like, also, I'm going to go right. here. The you lobster t- tail? Not the best part of the lobster. Claw meat is the best part of the lobster. Well, what is... You tell me what's the tastiest... You know, uh, according to Jax Russell, the uh, there's there's the tastiest part of the brain, the gustatory cortex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I mean, Hannibal was a fan. No, well, no, but so like, what you say that it's not the tastiest. So, what would be the tastiest part of a human? I don't know. But a human bacon? Is there something of human bacon? I don't know about that. I, I figured it'd be like, you want something good? Like, uh, I don't know. Beef cheek does really well. Maybe that would do well with the with the uh, the cannibal say. By the way, I'm going to throw this out there now. If you are a cannibal and you're listening to this. Please do not tell us what the tastiest part of a human Actually, is. Actually, I'm kind of curious. Just put that in the comments below. I'd uh, like to yeah. know. Okay. Uh, d- address to Adam, Thank the you. writer. That's right. I could use it. Uh, okay. So I love Lucy. Uh, this is why. Every modern sitcom is based around I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy set the trend. It is. It's fantastic. It sets that whole apartment thing. It's the jokes. Is, you know. And, and Lucille Ball was the perfect one. Her and Desi Arnaz were just great. She was so funny was not afraid to make fun of herself. And when you think about uh, TV history, uh, Lucille Ball and I Love Lucy just really set the standard of the sitcom. And it's one that we can see alive today. When you watch Seinfeld or you watch, you know, any, any comedy, you know, you really, you can still see the imprint of I Love Lucy on there. And that you can't see necessarily in older TV shows or ones between there. And I would say... While there are many great comedies before and after, I Love Lucy is the most important show on TV. It is uh, TV history, and I stand by that. And it's it's really funny. It's great. Well, and I'll give you that. That uh, that uh, is kind of the birth of the modern sitcom. And I'll give you that as that is that's the one from the past. I would say my number one show. Switching gears here, oh, and going forward, rather presumptuous, is going to be Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. You is... really can't have a list without wow. Game of Thrones, unfortunately. But it's the it's most important. You have it's your number one. It is, and there's okay. there's a few reasons for that. But I mean, just the it's interesting the kind of jaded culture that Game of Thrones has created. I'm not going to give any any spoilers, but it gets to the point where if you don't see a guy's head rolling across the ground, or you don't see somebody <laughs> actually like jamming the knife into him repeatedly, and then you watch this character go, "Oh no, I have died," and then die. Well, it, I don't you, believe it. Weren't you the guy about 20 minutes ago who was mock- making fun of the sort of like over the top like action violence and whatever of and 
you know, gratuitousness of Michael Bay, and here you are praising this element of Game of Thrones. I don't think it's gratuitous, though. Um, There's some gratuitous stuff well, in Game of Thrones. Sure, there is some. I mean, if there are boobs, you know, it's, it's in the contract. It's like, we're going to have to see those, you know, Bill. Yeah, uh, there are some characters that show their boobs that you, you know... Yeah, and then there's some characters you don't really want to see that are whipping them out all the time, and you're like, "Come on now!" Yeah, a couple episodes I saw a you know a man's member uh, that was absolutely unnecessary, and frankly, I didn't want to see it. Like I was like, "Oh, jeez." I will say this though: one of the other things I love about games of Game of Thrones is that immediately, and you could tell this from the first couple of episodes, right. they went into it without this idea of okay, let's shoot a pilot. And if that does well, then let's shoot a season. And if that mm. does well, we'll shoot the sex season. Yeah. They came into it like this. Uh, we're going to shoot seven seasons and uh, we sure as hell hope you guys pick them up because that's the way the story lays out. Yeah. And that's what I love about that is, is from the very beginning they went, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And um, if we get canceled anytime before this, it's going to suck. Well, I, I agree with that. The one thing I, I have to say though, and, and, I, and I'm a Game of Thrones fan. I, I, I like it. It's a, it's a well-written show. It's smart, really well-directed. I haven't loved season six. I have to. I have to say, like, I'm not crazy about it. But um, how is it important or influential? I I don't know. I mean, so it, I agree with you. It disconnects you. It it gives you this kind of morbid sense of disconnection from the main characters. Mm-hmm. Like with every other show, and but it's interesting because these characters do eventually die, and a lot of them die. These characters eventually die. You'll feel for them. You you hurt. You ache. True. You you mourn for these True. characters. Hold but at the, the same time, yeah. but at the same time, you almost don't get connected enough to anybody because, you know, you've got main characters dying in the first couple of episodes, right. and you just go, "Oh, so this is how it's going to be." I'm not going to get connected to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then you slowly they sucker you back in, and you go, "Oh man, this character's awesome. Oh man, this character's awesome. and they're dead." Okay, who am I going to follow now? I I agree with you, and I and I love that. It's great. And and one of the things I'll give to it is it's like the first fantasy tv show that i really thought was fantastically pulled off i mean some you know so it's important in that sense for me but i i think because it's it's almost uh in this list for me the reason i didn't include it is it's sort of a victim of its recency like as in like it's i don't know yet how important it is you know um and i think time needs to sort of you know I need to let a little time pass. Be the judge on this one. Yeah, I mean, as much as it's important, it's great, and I love it. It's easy to get caught up in the moment, and so I'm going to reserve judgment on it. I don't mind the pick, but I think that there's little proof that it is yet important. Well, I I see it as going forward. It's going to be majorly important, and I think a lot of that revolves around the way the characters are written. Oh, you've you've learned to predict the future. A little bit, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Tomorrow's lottery numbers, one, two, three, four, and five. One, two, three, four. Hey, that's the number on my luggage. Anyway, <laughs> that's my pin number for my debit card. Um, <laughs> once again, not really my pin number. Please leave my card alone. Um, but just it seems like it changed a lot of things. It um it changed the way some of these characters are written, and the fact that they're like, listen, I don't care what kind of contract you got as an actor. There's no guarantee you're not going home next week. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you. And like like Max von Sydow was barely used, which was a real shame because I like Mr. von Sydow. Yeah, Max von Sydow. It was so. I mean, so I was like, he must have had like five lines in the whole show. I'm like, why did you bring him in here? He was great. You know, he could have been so much more. anyway. But no, you're right, and they they don't really let anybody rule the roost. And 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 the they, other thing I like about they don't it have too any is big stars either. They don't, but they um they 
they're focusing on these little families. I mean, everybody, it's all kind of family based, mm-hmm. but you know, at the same time, they're not opposed to killing 90% of this family or that family or watching right. people. Go. I mean, well, the, w- the death thing really is probably the biggest. I have to, I have to tell you though, this is one of the things that I have a hang up about though, is I really feel like this last season has stalled. I think it has been inferior, and I think part of it is because we may have killed off too many characters. So that's why I say it remains to be seen. I don't mind the pick. It's a great show, but, you know, it is not I Love Lucy, I'll tell you that. Well, I kind of feel like with this season, it's a setup season. Like, I feel like they're getting... a setup season. I'm sorry. That's... You can if you write it seven seasons at a time. I mean... I, or eight I, seasons at a time. I think they're going to go eight. This is easily the weakest season. I Agreed. Okay, let's go to a new segment on Films Over Coffee, The Mailbag. Mailbag. I've got a few questions from our fans. Uh, and if you have any questions you'd like to know about filmmaking, that's what our questions are about. Leave that in the comments below on YouTube. Um, so the first question comes from Edward. Um, Edward wants to know, what's the process of making a short film from sort of, you know, start to finish? Like, how do you do that? And so for us, I don't know if every film company works this way. Um, uh, we, we like to think we're different. Yeah. But I mean, so for for us, you know, it basically starts with that idea, gen- Genesis, and we like to have a complete idea before we put any camera, you know, in front of anything. Um, and so as the writer, I typically come up with a number of ideas and pitch it to the team and see what hooks them. And then we sort of, you know, workshop it a bit. And then I, you know, write up a treatment or something longer. And then once and we, we start are, casting. Well, yeah, once we're in agreement, you know, the script gets written, casting gets started, and once we've got the casting, we get, you know, casting, production, all that stuff. And we usually, go into pre-production at that point, start looking at locations, props, costumes. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's really, the, the key thing is, you know, and that's the thing, when we're doing the, you know, idea genesis, when we're coming up with that original idea, part of it is like, we ask the question, how feasible is this? You know, can we shoot this? Can we think of any locations that would be easy to shoot? Is this going to be, like, something we're going to have to drive across the country to do? And so there's a lot of things to factor in. That's, in a way, it's, it's a way to sort of limit uh, the pre-production. And uh, we think about, can we get the cast for this? Uh, can we get all these elements? Agreed. But, you know, also when you look at it, having that kind of restriction is is a way to make you more creative. It's um, true. It's I mean, true. I talk about Jay and Mark Duplass a lot on here, but... When you start looking at some of their early films, mm-hmm. it was stuff like they, they had those same restrictions like, okay, what can we shoot in a weekend inside a van with right. a set of, uh, right. of patio furniture? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of how they did it. And having certain restrictions like that forces you to be extremely creative. And and to this point, I will say that I think um, our first couple of films, we had uh, Over Coffee where we kind of got our name and our genesis there. And right. uh, we've just completed Mercy. I mean, most of the... Most of Mercy, we've uh, finished uh, filming, but from what I've seen, and we're we're pretty close on a cut on that too. Yeah. Um. But having these kind of restrictions of being a smaller company like that has forced us to be extremely creative, yeah. and it shows in the work. I think that's one of the issues with Hollywood. There's not enough restrictions. You watch old films; they were pretty restricted, and so they had to find ways. But so but after, then you look at the Avengers, and you know when you've got three hundred, four hundred million dollars to just right. do whatever you want. Yeah. Who needs a writer? So we, uh, you know, we after we get all the production, pre-production done, casting, we get everything set, we get the dates set, you know, we set a couple of film dates, and we have usually have a reserve or a couple of reserve dates, if this is a short film, in case we have to spill over into more filming. You know, we get all that in the can, you know, uh, and, you know, of course, Mitch, uh, the director, goes and creates a shot lineup and how he, the, you know, the order in which he wants to shoot them and what they're going to look like, and he and uh, Ben Bolt, our DP, works on that, and then... 
uh, we get into filming, you know, Jared's holding the mic, you know, I am. I sit there with a script and, uh, on the peanut gallery off to the side. And, um, and then once we're all done, we put it in a can and we send it to our very talented editor, Cody. Extremely talented. And, uh, Cody gets to work and, uh, Cody's a busy man these days. Well, and, and, uh, based on what we shoot, we shoot a lot of footage. Yeah. Um, and then we just kind of put it all in this neat little pile and just throw it at Cody and say, do something yeah. with this. And he may be, he may actually be the most artistic one of all of us to, cause he, to be able to, to filter out a story from the, the, just the piles and piles of stuff we send him is, is truly. Well, what's phenomenal. interesting to me is I think Mitch has an idea in his head, but it's hard to see it as everyone else. We're all kind of like, you know what, how's this going to work? And he knows what he's doing, but it's like, I think that it's a, uh, you know, we're all in the dark. It's just like, okay. Yep. You know, yeah. he usually tells the writer, shut up, you know, go back to writing. Don't you have another movie to work on? Anyway, let's go to the next uh, question. Next question. Uh, how, uh, how do films, this is from Jill. He asks, how do you film or how do movies film real characters with computer graphic ones? Um, typically what you see nowadays, now we have never done this. Uh, we try to avoid special effects because we're cheap. And, uh, and we're not good at them. Yeah. Well, and, and also it's overdone. But, you know, like typically when you see this done, you see like uh, an actor talking to another actor who has like a tennis ball taped to the top of his head. You know, that's where the head is supposed to be. Or you'll see people in uh, those body Blue suits. suits yeah. yeah. Like uh, what, what's his name? Uh, was Smeagol. Um, now he's a director. Uh, he's in Planet of the Apes. He did. Anyway, that guy. Uh, Gollum. Uh, Isn't his name Max something? Andy Circus. Andy, Andy Circus. Yeah. yeah so, so not Max. That's what you're saying. Typically, there is something for the uh, actor to interact with. It's not like back in the day when they did like the they used to do the cartoons interacting with the actor and like they were talking to nothing and it showed. Yeah. I mean, even in CG, we've noticed a huge improvement from like, for example, Star Wars Episode One till today. Like you can yeah. see, you can usually tell back then if you watch those old mov- older movies. It's hard to say Episode One's an old movie, <laughs> but you know, like. You can, if you watch the eyes of the actor interacting with a CG character, you can tell and tell they're not looking at them, and yeah. they've really improved that. So they have a lot. Uh, one of the best examples I've seen of this lately is um, John Favreau's The Jungle Book. Right, huge John Favreau fan. Although from back in the day, I mean, I like Swingers, I like Made. Um, I think the work he did on um, the first Iron Man movie was fantastic. Is that a Favreau movie? Though? Yeah, Jungle Book. I thought that was Andy Serkis. No, no. Favreau, Favreau directed that. Oh, okay. But if you if you look at the behind the scenes footage, it is really funny because it's a big blue room with <laughs> some big blue pads. Yeah. And then you've got four or five guys in blue suits who are lifting this kid around and throwing him around and <laughs> tossing him in different directions. And it's it's really cool to see. And then you see the actual finished footage and it, you know, it's night and day difference, obviously. Right. Okay. Question number three comes from Jacob. He asks, How many megapixels are in the cameras we use? Now, uh, we use a red camera. Uh, and with that sensor, uh, it's a very large sensor, and it's the red uh, sensor we use has been used in many major productions, and uh, so this is a you know pro- very professional Hollywood grade camera, um, and uh, famously Lord of the Rings used red cameras, and but many many films today you can go on their website uh, and look at all the movies made with these sensors. So David Fincher is a big fan of the red camera, right? Well, it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. It's it's huge. Um, and so we have that. And uh, now I talked to, I don't know much about cameras. I'm but a writer. But I did talk to our DP, Ben Bolt, and uh, Mitch, our director. And what they told me was, 
you don't want to think about film cameras as megapixels. Now, technically, uh, the red camera we have is a 14 megapixel camera, but it really doesn't factor in. What we have a we have a camera that shoots in 4K RAW, which means we really have control of the color grading and all that stuff. And 4K, if you know what 4K is, it's basically 10 quadrants of 1080p. So it's you know a huge amount of data, and um, and so it's really not about megapixels. I think that was sort of our old way of thinking about cameras. But really, what's more important is sensor size, you know, and these other the factors. Of light that's a yeah, aperture. But really, you know, when we're talking about cameras, we're talking about 4K, and that's really got to be the important factor. So that if that answers your question, Jacob. Again, if you have other questions uh, uh, for us uh, for about filmmaking from a writer and a sound guy, you know, we don't know what we're talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, put it in the comments below. We'd, we'd love to hear your questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, I'd like to throw out there at the same time, Adam's still looking to hear from you cannibals out there. So if you're indeed people, please get a hold of Adam. I'm hungry for your comments. Get it? <laughs> See? See what I did there? Uh, uh, clever. Thank clever. You. Thank yeah. you. I'm a writer, you know. I went so, to college. All right. Well, uh, to kind of wrap things up here, I mean, uh, you know, let me know. Uh, we want questions from you guys. Did we get it right? Uh, what do you think? Leave questions and thoughts in the comment section below. And uh, if you guys like what we're up to, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, subscribe. That'd be a big help. Yeah. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Over Coffee Films. Um, we're on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos of our film shoots. Um, we've also, uh, we're on Facebook and YouTube. And as always, we are at www.overcoffeefilms.com. And for Adam, uh, the writer, I am Jared, the sound guy. And, uh, thank you guys for listening. Adios. Films over coffee.